If you're here for the first time with us today, I just want uh, to say welcome to be with us. We're so thankful that you're here. We are a family uh, that is on mission. Uh, we love to live life uh, with one another in both the peaks and the valleys of life, in the highs and the low moments. And so, you know, in, in just a few minutes, we're going to enter into the painful healing valley of Psalm 6, okay? Uh, it's going to be um, hard. It's going to be so good. And God's going to heal us and he's going to move us to praise and restoration and hope and healing. Um, but before we get there, I'm going to take about five minutes, ten minutes, and say a few things not related to Psalm 6. And first, I just want to say, it, has been, it was so good to step away from preaching for two weeks. Uh, just to get away and clear my mind and clear my head and uh, dream and pray and be restored and revived myself. You know, it was so good and so healing. and it was, it's, it's exciting to go into the fall fresh and restored. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is that, as many of you know, our church, like every other church, we go through uh, extreme ministry cycles, um, because, but because of our nature and influence at USF, they're a little bit more extreme. Um, and, you know, we, uh, we love our college students and the impact they have on our church. They provide so much energy and zeal and passion, but we also know that they come with different seasons and schedules of life. And as I say that, Quite frankly, we believe our college students, they're, they're pivotal uh, in, to the, the vision and mission of our church and the mission of God. And so we embrace all, uh, all that it brings. You know, we started our church with the burden and the vision to see people go from the sidelines of the faith and to be sent across the street and across the world to proclaim the name of Jesus. Like, like we desire to be a church that sends people all over the world to tell people about how good Jesus is and how good our God is. And, you know, God is doing this. You know, over the past five months, um, we have commissioned out our first two long-term missionaries to labor among those who have never heard the name of Jesus. We just commissioned out one of those two this past Wednesday night who is our very first college graduate that went to USF, was called into long-term missions while at USF, served in our church, and she is now leveraging her life and moving around the world for the sake of the gospel. New City, yeah, praise the Lord. Like, this is why we exist. I mean, this is what we want to see over and over and over again in the years to come. Like, this, the crazy, ridiculous dream that we have is to have hundreds of missionaries all over the world. And who are some of the most mobile people on the planet? who are thinking about the rest of their life and can get up and move at the drop of the hack, hat for the sake of the gospel? Well, college students. And so who are we gonna, what are we gonna do? We're gonna do whatever it takes to reach the campus of USF and UT and all the other schools around us to see lives changed and to reach the world. And one of the many ways that we're preparing for the 50,000 college students that are about to ascend onto USF's campus eight minutes from here is to move to two services. Two weeks from today. Right, we're, this, we're doing this to provide more seats, more, more space for more people to be transformed by the gospel with the hopes of sending out more laborers to being built up and sent out all over the world. And the reason we're going to two services is for several reasons. I mean, some of them, like being able to provide more opportunities for community and space for serving and to offer more in our services and to help with longevity and with volunteers, specifically with our kids' volunteers. But one of the reasons... It's because last spring, really on peak Sundays, we were beginning to reach our capacity in this space. And what we absolutely are committed to is to always have plenty of seats for your friends and your family to come in and hear the gospel and, and hear about the goodness of God. 
And as we know with our college students, is that as they're about to come in two or three weeks, is that they often come in, yes, in ones and twos, but they also come in packs in tens and fifteens and twenties. Like we often see cars and vans filled up, bringing their friends coming in in large packs. In fact, in the month of August, we have the opportunity to pick up international students from the airport that will be flying in from all over the world. You know, all of our uh, ministry partners like BCM and Campus Outreach and Crew, uh, they're all planning and preparing for the first 10 days of students on campus, doing everything they can to reach as many students as possible. And on August 17th, our church will be one of just a few churches that will have a tent and a booth on campus for an event that's expecting about 2,000 freshmen. And guess what? We need volunteers. Like the event needs volunteers to pass out food and water to host games. You know, last year it was just me and AJ and my kids, my three kids, uh, we stood out there for three hours and we had snow cones talking to people literally from all over the world. I mean, there's all sorts of opportunities to jump in and help reach the campus this fall in the hopes of seeing students come in, uh, come to Christ, be baptized, discipled, and sent back out on mission. I mean, there are, uh, there are not just 50,000 college students, but there are 50,000 potential church planters, missionaries, and gospel warriors that can take the gospel into the workplace and into our community for years to come. And so we're going to do everything we can, metaphorically speaking, to prepare the waters for God to bring the rain. And in many ways, this is a step of faith. And we don't, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we don't know like, how, people, how God's going to move. But you know what? I think we all know that, t- it's, that, that taking a step of faith, it's risky. Like it's not easy. It's not comfortable. And it, this stretches us. Because the reality is uh, we will need to double our volunteers for a Sunday. Like we need volunteers, okay? But it would be, I mean, it would be easier for us to just kind of coast along, business as usual, full volunteer teams, a room full of energy and, and passionate worship. Uh, and just being honest, for me, preaching to a room that's more full is way more fun than preaching to a room that may be just kind of empty at times. Because the reality is going to two services, some Sundays and some services, they may fill up very quickly, but there might be some days when some services where you look around and think, well, where did everybody go? Again, we don't know what God's going to do, but going to two services, it is a step of faith. And there is no doubt it will stretch us at times and it will be hard at times. Because let's be honest with ourselves here. Yes, college students, they come in herds and packs of 10s and 20s, but they also leave in packs of 10s and 20s. I mean, anybody that's called New City Home over the past uh, couple of years, we've said goodbye to a lot of people. You know, this summer, the, the past three months has been full of goodbyes to our recent grads moving away for jobs or ministry, and all good things. But real talk, it's still not fun. Yes, we've got more college students going into the fall than we've ever had. We've also lost a lot. And it's going to take a lot of people uh, who, have, who did not lead in the past or maybe followed someone else's lead to just step up and lead. Again, stepping out in faith, it's risky. It's uncomfortable. It stretches us. But New City, this is how God has ordained for us to grow as a people. God's means for growing his people in both strength and number is through stress and stress and tension is through taking risk and is getting out of our comfort zone. And this is not just for us as a collective body of people, but this is also really just in almost everything we do. In order to grow and deepen our relationships, what do we have to do? We have to take risks. We have to invite people into our life. We have to invite people into the vulnerable spaces and that's risky. That's hard. That's not safe. That's how depth is formed. 
and courage is required. The strongest relationships in our life are those that have been under tension and stress and hardship and then made it and they've healed. Well, that's, some of the, that's how some of the deepest bonds are formed. And this shouldn't surprise us because this is true, again, in other areas of our life. In order to grow in our physical strength and endurance, we have to add more strain to our body. You know, when I've been on vacation, coming back, uh, trying to get back and start running in 95 degree Florida humidity, like this is not fun. I can attest it adds strain to the body. You know, we see this with our school and work. In order to advance in our career, we have to do things that are uncomfortable and maybe a bit risky. We have to grow in proficiency in things, maybe like that we've never done before. Like this is true in just about everything we do. And it shouldn't surprise us. This is also true when it comes to our maturity and our strength in the Lord, which is what we've been seeing as we've gone through this psalm, the Psalms this summer. And we'll see again today in Psalm 6 that will take us into the painful, healing valley of sorrow and grief. David, the writer of these psalms, has been praying and processing through some really hard moments of his life in the past few psalms. And we've noticed as we've gone through many of these harder psalms of lament, uh, where David is in the valley, is that David, he often starts in, in one place of extreme difficulty down in the valley, like last week in Psalm 5. David started out saying, consider my groaning, give attention to the sound of my cry. But then he reminded himself of who God is. He went through the stress and tension of processing what was hard and difficult. And then he ended with hope, ascending back up the mountain by saying, let all who take refuge in him rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. So David started with groaning. He was stretched and challenged. He was wrestling with God in prayer. And then he ended rejoicing and singing with joy. You see, this is what God does with us over and over and over again. Like he lovingly puts us through a challenge, through the refining fire. He puts us in uncomfortable and hard places, but on the backside is healing and growth and renewal. But you know what I know? When we're in the middle of the fire, <laughs> when we're in the middle of stress and pain and sorrow and grief, or maybe even depression, in those uncomfortable moments, life moments, like it is just not fun. I think we can agree that it's easier to praise the Lord on the back end of pain once we've made it through it than when we're in the middle of it. So we have to ask, what in the world do we do when we're in the lowest of the low? When we're in those moments of life of sorrow and grief and agony. And what do we do? Well, we do what they do in the Psalms over and over again. We come to the Lord. But, but what do we do when it seems as if in those, those moments of sorrow and sadness, when it seems like God is absent when it seems like God is silence and healing, it's just not happening. Well, what do we do? We still come to the Lord anyways. We cry out to the Lord in desperation. We plead to the Lord to move and to act and to restore us and trust that our main idea today is true. And it's that God is with us in our agonizing sorrow. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at valley after valley, lament after lament. And if our goal as a church was just to gather a bunch of people every week, y'all, we would not preach these texts. Because let's be real here, uh, we don't like these texts. They're mentally and emotionally and like physically exhausting. You know, we've looked at things like betrayal and shame and, and being in distress and God's hatred of evil and wickedness. I mean, these are really heavy texts. They're, they're painful. 
we don't, we don't like these texts. We don't like to go to these places. It's not fun, but yet in the heaviness of these texts, in the uncomfortableness of it all, whether we like it or not, this is how God deepens our well and heals us. Like this is how God grows our roots and grows us in steadfastness. This is how God grows our anchor in the Lord. And so this fall, if we're asking for God to bring the rain and bring revival and to grow us as a body, to reach more people with the gospel, we better make sure our roots are ready and that our foundation is secure and that our soul can find space to heal. And how do we grow? And how do we heal? We get really comfortable with being uncomfortable. When it seems as if God is silent, when we're in a deep sorrow and pain, when we're overwhelmed with grief and sadness, in those moments, we have to choose to trust the Lord anyways, which is what we see David do in Psalm 6. Look at me in verses 1 to 3. David says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Now notice what David says here. He says, don't rebuke me in your anger, but be gracious to me. And then he goes on to say, he says, I'm languishing. My bones are troubled. How long is this going to last? He cries out for God to heal him in verse 2. You know, David, I think it's fair to say that he's not in a great spot. Like he's languishing. He's in sorrow. And we don't know the exact reason for why, why for this. Maybe he's sinned in some way or maybe uh, he's just going through a hard situation and maybe not because of any sin, but just like we see in Job in the Bible, just maybe God is allowing it to happen for the sake of David's growth. We don't know. There's, there's, people have said different things here. But there's a lot, uh, a lot of what we see here, these, these three verses, but what I want us to see is that number one, healing begins by being honest with the Lord. I mean, David here, he's hurting. He cries out and says, heal me because his bones and his soul, they're greatly troubled. He's being honest and says, God, where are you? God, God, do something. I'm hurt. Like, can you heal me? You know, the, the past few weeks, me and my wife, we've watched a documentary called Quarterback. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It shows three different quarterbacks during the 2022 season, Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota. It's it's been fun to have a peek into the life of a quarterback. It's actually made my my pregnant wife desire to be an NFL quarterback. Um, But one of the things you notice on this documentary is that these quarterbacks are almost always hurt in some way. I mean, they have like 300-pound men of steel coming to them trying to rip their head off and Kirk Cousins, I love it. He's like six, he's listed at 6'3", 210, but he looks more like 150 soaking wet. And he's like a skinny little thing. He, like, he, he wants, uh, but when you watch it, you notice that he's almost always playing while hurt. I mean, every time he's, he's mic'd up in the games and he's just like groaning and grunting every single time he passes the ball. Like he is just in pain, but he plays through it. He plays hurt. And in the documentary, he was very honest about his rib injury that he had. To take, and he had to take extra time every week to heal his body so he could keep going and keep playing. And when I look at our psalm today, it seems like David just got finished getting pummeled by a bunch of men of steel. And he's lying here in the recovery room, groaning through his pain, trying to find healing, wondering if, wondering if he's going to play the next game. 
So David here is praying, he's pleading upon the grace of God. Just, he's just showing a raw honesty that seems, it seems as if God's just not there. I mean, David says, but you, Lord, how long? Like, where are you? Like, how long is this pain going to keep going? Where are you? How long is this pain and sorrow and trouble? How, like, how long is it going to continue? I'm calling out for help, but it doesn't seem to be working. And so let me just ask, have you ever been there? I know I have several times. Maybe you're there now. Maybe with sickness or relational trouble or financial stress. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by life change. Maybe by your sin, which again might be where David is in this psalm. He's potentially overwhelmed by his sin. And maybe you're waiting for a breakthrough, but you're just tired of waiting and being disappointed. And you're like, David, and you think, how long? God, where are you? And I just want to affirm that it's okay to be honest with the Lord. That we can bring our struggles and frustrations to the Lord, even when they don't sound great. Because that's how healing begins. You know, when I was in high school, uh, early on in high school, I was on a trajectory to potentially play college baseball. You know, my freshman year, I was starting as a catcher on the varsity team. I was hitting the ball really well. I had one of the strongest arms on the team as a freshman. Everything seemed to be going in the right direction. And at the time for me, baseball was my life. I played and trained year-round. And then my sophomore year of high school, I threw out my arm. I was playing catcher, but I literally could not get the ball to second base. You know, I would, I would throw it to second and it would literally just kind of like slowly roll into second base, which let's just say is not great for when people are trying to steal a base. You know, I, they would just run all day long and it was totally humiliating. And around that same time, everything else in my life was spiraling. My parents had just split up. Several of my relationships with friends were kind of falling apart and I trying to figure out like who in the, like what's going on? Who in the world am I? And I was really just living for the world, looking for something to just hold me up. And God brought me to a place of desperation, a place similar to where David was in this psalm. It brought me to the moments when I thought, God, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And I remember like vividly just yelling at the Lord, just in raw honesty. And yet that's when healing began in my life. That's, that's when I found, like, that's when I gave my life to Christ and I said, Jesus, take me. In those moments, it seemed like I was being punished by the Lord and crying out like, David, how long? But yet in that raw honesty, God used it to reveal himself to me. And just maybe that's where you are today. We all have our own stories with this. And I just want to say that it's okay to not be okay. And you know what? God wants us to bring it to him anyways because that's where healing begins. And as I look at my own story, I really believe that I didn't, if I didn't throw up my arm instead of turning to Jesus in my pain, I would have totally thrown myself into baseball and made baseball my God. But God took that from me and I agonized over it. But yet God in those moments, like he was doing what he was doing with David, I think. God was lovingly disciplining me in those moments and healing me in a painful moment to draw me closer to him. And it was the goodness and the kindness of the Lord, even when it didn't seem so good in the moment. And what did David do in his moment after he was honest with the Lord, wondering, God, where are you? Well, he continued to cry out to God anyways. He said, calling on God to be gracious to him when he felt everything but that. Look at verse four and five. Look what David says. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. 
Save me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? So he continues to pray. He continues to cry out, asking God to deliver him and save him, even when it seemed like God like, just wasn't listening. And what he says next is fascinating. He says, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. So David knows God is steadfast in his love and he's crying out to God, knowing that God is safe and he's, uh, he's an unmoving God. And we think about this and being, uh, as we move, kind of move on to our second point, second of four points today, I know that nothing on this planet can be compared to the unmoving nature of God, like il- illustrations fall short here. But I think we can understand it through thinking about through the lens of objects that you know, seem unmovable, like maybe a brick wall or a boulder. And at least uh, for right now, as a dad with young kids, I like to think that when I'm wrestling my kids, I seem un- Ill- immovable. Like they think they can move me, but they can't. I have to let them move me. It's great. I like to think that it's discipleship, um, teaching them experientially, experientially about the immovable and steadfast love of God by wrestling them to the ground and squashing them like a bug as they're stuck under their daddy for a moment. But David in this moment in Psalm 6, he is struggling to believe and trust in the immovable and steadfast love of God. He understands the steadfast love of God when God feels near. He knows it, he can experience it, but in this moment, he is struggling to see it and he's calling out for deliverance. But I want us to notice how he's crying out in his pain. And it's by appealing to the character of God. David knows that God is unchanging and immovable. David knows that God is loving and he just wants to see it. So what does he do? He calls out, he starts praying according to and for the sake of his steadfast love, showing us number two, in our pain and sorrow, appeal to the character of God. David is struggling to see that God is steadfast in love. He doesn't feel like this is true in the moment, but yet he's calling on God in prayer anyways, in spite of that and appealing to 2A, God's steadfast love saying, rescue me, help me. He's saying, God, I know that you're unchanging in your love, but right now I just want to see it. I want to know it. I want to experience it. I mean, have you ever been there of this type of soul hurt? Unfortunately, this is just part of being human. And what I love about this is just how raw and how honest all of this is. And what David says in verse 6 is another plea, another ask for help according to the character of God. Look at verse 5 again. It says, for in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? So to be David here appeals to God's glory, saying, "If I die, who will? Uh, how like who who like how will we make the goodness of God known? Like how will help? Who will help others to remember the goodness of God and to praise God in this moment when it seems as if God is silent? David turns his prayer into a passionate plea, say, "God, this is who I know you to be, and just show yourself." And what I want us to see here is that in our moment of despair, when it seems as if God is silent, maybe finding ourselves in a low place, maybe even a state of depression, one of the best things we can do is to come to God in our raw emotion. Knowing that God is steadfast and unmoving in his love and just be honest with the Lord and appeal to who he is and say, God, rescue me. I know you're able. God, show yourself. God, help me. I know that you're able. And as we call out to God, declaring himself, who we know him to be, as he declares himself in his word, God is pleased by it. And does this mean our circumstances are going to change? No. They might not. They might. 
But what does change is our heart towards the Lord. And our despair is taken out of our hands and it's placed into the hands of God. And the reason I wanted to point this out is because what often happens is that we become afraid just to be raw and honest with the Lord. It's almost as if we filter our prayers to the Lord while yet he knows our real thoughts. You ever thought about that? Like God knows when we're not happy with him or when we're apathetic towards him and we act as if God's love towards us will change based off of how we say our prayers or what we say to him in prayer, in our filtered prayers. And church, that's just not true. David here is appealing for God to move and act based off of the character of God and not based off of what David has done. New City, there is a big difference because one is dependent on a broken and limited human and the other one is dependent on an unlimited and faithful God. And so maybe we be wise just to call out to the faithful God, to our steadfast and faithful God. You know, many commentators have said that David here in this psalm is quite possibly depressed. And we're getting a firsthand experience uh, in, in Psalm 6 of how to find healing through depression. And writer and, and counselor Chip Dodd has been so helpful for me in thinking through and trying to understand depression and how it works and what happens in a, just at a very basic level. And I know, you know, I know there are so many complexities to this. But he's helped me to understand and see how depression is often linked to passion. Like it often comes from a sort of suppressed passion. It's when we're passionate about something and that passion just seems pointless or hopeless and we just cut off all desire. Like when we long and have a passion for relationships and we look around and we do not see any hint of hope for our desired relationship. And so what do we do? We cut off all desire and say, well, what's the use? when we're overwhelmed by work or to-do list or a future or just some sort of direction and there doesn't seem to be any hint of hope and so we just don't do anything. Like there's a passion that seems hopeless to fulfill. And so co some commentators have said that just maybe David is dealing with a bout of depression here while he's wrestling through this, we see him unleashing his passion towards the Lord. And that's how he finds healing. Saying, God, do something. Help me, be gracious to me, save me. And so if, we're, if you struggle with depression, one thing to do is just to explore your passion and unleash your passion because in the Lord there is hope. Cry out to him, like just a passionate plea and trust him just to awaken your heart. And so one of the best things just for me when I get in low moments is just to go on a walk and just cry out to the Lord. When I am low, I have to go on a prayer walk and just cry out passionately towards the Lord. And I want you to notice what David brings to the Lord. David says in verse six and seven, he says, I'm weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So New City, David is not only possibly in a state of depression, but he's also in grief. These are often, the uh, depression and grief, they're often linked together, but they're also different. And just at my base, my, this is how I, it's helpful for me, how I've understood this. They're uh, probably way oversimplified. Maybe we could say depression is a lost hope towards a passion for the future. Where grief is a lost love from the past that can also extend into the future. He, he tied it, it's, like, it's, it's tied to an identifiable loss. 
And David here said he was in grief, that he was weary with his moaning. He is flooding his bed and his couch with tears and weeping, and he feels it in his eyes, he says. And he's saying to God, God, this is how I've been. I know you've seen me. Showing us, number three, God sees and hears us in our sorrow. New City, when it seems like God doesn't see us or hear us, we must trust that he in fact does. And David knows this and he says, do you see this grief? Like, do you see my crying? David's bringing his entire self to God. He's coming to the Lord in his tears. David says he's in grief. He's experienced some sort of loss, maybe a person, maybe a community that he loved and he's lost it. I don't know if if you've ever knowingly experienced grief. Maybe a lost friend or family member, maybe over a, a lost dream or some sort of expectation or possibly there's a stage of life that's just changed or a community that's changed and you've experienced grief. I mean, this happens to all of us. I mean, there's something that you've loved and now it's gone. And I know from personal experience that grief, is just like a bear to wrestle through. I mean, it comes in waves and cycles. It, it puts us like David in this psalm on the couch, on the bed, weeping in tears. And, and you think you've, you're healed or you're over it and then it comes right back and it hits you like a ton of bricks and you remember the pain and the loss again. But what Counselor Chip Dodd has said has helped me to see with grief and sadness is that it's evidence that we've loved deeply. It's proof that we've lived fully. But the danger of experiencing the pain of grief is that if we don't want to feel that pain again, like we just don't want to feel it. We don't like it. And what David said, says here, saying, I'm weary with my moanings. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. I don't know about for you, but for me, that does not sound fun. Like, I'd rather just not go through that, you know? And so we try to protect ourselves from it. And so we hold back. We withhold our full love, our f- like living fully. We guard ourselves from living fully and fully opening up ourselves to other people just so we don't experience it again. But that is not what the Lord wants for us. Like grieving, it's a good and healthy thing. It's part of the healing process that then heals us for the purpose of loving deeply again. No, it's not replacing a previous love, but rather it helps create space for a new love, a new friend, a new life stage that God has for us to bring new joy and renewal. And what David is going through and experiencing here in his tears, like this is part of God's means and method to heal and restore his people. Again, grief is not trying to get over a lost love, but rather remembering it and helping to find closure to it. And the reason in the previous verse David calls out appealing to the steadfast love of God is because in David's grieving, he's clinging to the steadfast love of God that does not change, that will never end. He's clinging to the unmoving love of God that can't be taken from him. Because the unfortunate hard reality of living in a fallen world, everything around us will come and go. Like life is constantly changing. Friends move away, opportunities pass by, seasons come and go, kids grow up, the human life, like it just doesn't last forever. But the beauty of the gospel is that through Jesus, we are connected to the love of God and it is constant and it does not change. There is a massive difference in going through grief and trial and sorrow and depression with the Lord versus without the Lord. When we grieve and mourn with the Lord, Knowing that he sees us and hears us, y'all, we have, we have hope and comfort that we're not alone. 
We have hope and comfort that yes, something we love is now gone, but our greatest love, our greatest treasure in Jesus, it can never be taken. When we go through the pits of depression with the Lord, Yes, there may be parts of our life where our passion has been suppressed and it may seem hopeless, but with the Lord, God's purpose is for his own passion and he delights to instill his passion into us and to use us in incredible ways. And guess what? God, he's got the power and the ability to actually do something about it. And you know what? That gives us hope. You know what people need who are sad and lonely and possibly depressed? We need hope. We need Jesus. Y'all, there are a lot of things that are appealing to handing over our life to Jesus and making Jesus the king of our life. But in my own personal opinion, one of the greatest, greatest reasons to let Jesus take the reins of our life is this very reason. It's because with Jesus, we have hope. With Jesus comes purpose and passion and power and a love that cannot be taken from us. New City, we have a God that will never leave us and a people that God is encouraging through his word to stay with us and sit with us and cry with us in our grief and sorrow. Like we have a God-ordained community to show the tangible love of God to us and to cry with us and to stay with us in our sorrow until hope is reimagined. New City, this is the beauty of the church. We're not just a people that gather together. We're not just a people that meet and chat and exchange cordial friendship. No, church, we're a family. We step into the trenches with each other. We grieve and mourn and sit with each other. And in time, we point each other to our hope that is found in Jesus. And while we're there with one another, we can say, I'm here. I'm with you. Jesus, he's better. We don't rush people along. We don't say, get yourself together. No, the love of God that we're to show one another looks like when someone is crying in bed, weeping all night long like we see with David. The love of God that we show in that moment is his steadfast and patient presence that sits with us and says, I'm here for you, I'm with you, and Jesus, he's here too. And in time, the hope of Jesus, the passion and love of Jesus through the spirit of God, he will reignite their soul. New City, we grieve, we mourn, we weep, but listen, we do not do it without hope. You know, as I said earlier, as we go through the Psalms, we see a progression and a movement as they wrestle, wrestle with God in prayer. And at first glance, our Psalm doesn't seem to end on a cheery side with joy and rejoicing, but let's not miss that David, through his pleading, he has moved towards hope. Look, look what he says in verses 8 10 to finish out the Psalm. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled, and they shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. You know what we see here is David ending the Psalm with a reignited passion and hope. So he started out in our psalm saying, God, be gracious to me, heal me, my bones are troubled, deliver my life, save me. He began crying out to God and then he moved to saying, do you see my weeping, my tears, my moaning, my grief? And as David prayed through his pain, he has moved from pleading to praising, leading us to number four, God leads us through our sorrow. You know, David, at the end of the psalm, he's moved through his pain and his passion, and he has been reignited by hope. And notice it wasn't reignited by an accomplished event. But he said, all my enemies shall be ashamed. They shall turn back. Like it hasn't happened yet. But why is David confident? Why is David now hopeful? Because he knows the Lord has heard his plea. 
He knows that his grief and pain has been comforted by the steadfast love of God. David started out with a suppressed passion, quite possibly depressed. And he ends with a confident hope. And his passion has been released and moved towards the Lord. And how did this happen? Because he brought his real raw self to the Lord. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He didn't try to rush past it. He simply came to the Lord and threw himself upon the steadfast love of God. He appealed to the character of God, his steadfast love and his glory, and he allowed God to meet him in the depths of his pain. And what happened? God turned his pleading into praising. He turned his depression into passion. He gave hope to his grieving and reminded David that he was with him. David said, God has heard my plea. He accepts his prayer. And David, a warrior and a king, who was in a deep pit of sadness, God moved him from, a, from weeping mode back into warrior mode. And church, this is what God does. He gives us space. He heals us. He hears us. He sits with us. He does not rush us, but he also does not leave us in self-pity. No, God moves us back into mission and he sends us back into battle. He doesn't send us out wounded. No, he sends us heals or he sends us towards healing. And notice in verse eight, David said, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Like super encouraging, right? Verse 10, he said, all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. And when David wrote this psalm, we have to remember that he was a king. He was a warrior that was often in battle. Like he had literal armies in war that were trying to attack him and kill him in several instances where it was his own family and his own people. And so David here has started to inch back towards warrior mode out of his sorrow. And when we read that today, we need to be really clear that this is not what God is calling us to do. God's not calling us to be warriors that physically take down our earthly enemies. No, Jesus in the gospel turns this all upside down because we know Jesus turns enemies to friends. Because when Jesus came onto the scene, he didn't come to kill and shame his enemies, but rather to draw them into his kingdom. God's battle and God's mission is not to destroy earthly enemies, but to restore them back to himself. And so us here today, the only enemy we have that we hope to see put to shame and greatly troubled is the cosmic enemy of God. It's the spirit of darkness that we call the devil. No, we don't look at the people around us and say, depart from me, you workers of evil. No, us today, we say that to God's cosmic enemy that is over sin and evil. Because our God, he moves people from enemies to friends. He moves us out of our sorrow and into a hopeful confidence. It's the work of the devil to keep us in our sorrow and to move us to self-pity. And we have to say, depart from me, you workers of evil. Y'all, we serve a gracious and a loving and a steadfast God that restores us and moves us to passionate worship and purposeful mission. When Jesus came to earth, he came, lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He didn't do that for us to say, get away from me, all you mean people. But rather that we would say, I see you in your sorrow. I see you in your sadness, and I have good news. Jesus, our loving king, he wants to be your friend. He wants to sit by you, and he died for you at the cross so he could heal your soul. New City, the gospel doesn't declare others are enemies. No, it calls us to declare to them about the goodness of God. That says to them, yes, you have pain, but Jesus, he has healing and hope. New City, this is what the gospel does. 
The resurrected Christ by the Spirit of God sees us in our weeping and moves us to worship and mission. It moves us to say with confidence, depart from me, you workers of of evil. It moves us to worship in our weeping. The gospel is always moving us. It moves us across the street. It moves us around the world. It also moves us from sadness to joy. And as we're moved by the Spirit of God into healing and mission, do you know what is always with us? It is the unmoving, steadfast love of God. And and so as we go into the fall, what we see today with healing and restoration is what we want to call people to, to grieve with hope, to find hope in our sorrow, and then seeing their passion unleashed into God's mission. And as we end our time today, listen, I don't know how you came in. Maybe you're in a state of sorrow or sadness or grief, maybe even depressed. And what I want to call you today is to throw yourself onto the steadfast love of God and know that he sees you, he hears you, and he wants to restore you and he wants to revive your weary soul. And to be okay that just, and just knowing that restoration takes time, healing happens slowly, and it often takes a community of people around you. And as, a God, and as God heals you in the process, we can trust that he's deepening your roots and strengthening you for his glory and for what lies ahead. Or, or maybe you're here today and you're on the back end of healing. And if that's you, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But know that God's next step for, you, step for you is to send you back into mission and to find others around you that need the same healing that you have found in Christ. You see, the moment the gospel stops moving us into healing and mission is the moment we drift into apathy and enemy territory. And so let me just ask, who is it that you need to sit by, to call, to listen, to cry with, and just show in a tangible way the steadfast love of God? And then lastly, maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you're intrigued by this hope and passion that is found in sorrow. And you're thinking to yourself, I want that. I, I need that hope. Well, the call for you today is to say to Jesus, Jesus, just take my life. Like your death on the cross is sufficient to cleanse me of my sin and I'll trust you. Like it's sufficient to heal me in my pain and my sorrow. And we're in these moments of sorrow and it seems as if God is silent. We can trust that he's with us. We can trust that he's gracious. He hears us. He sees us. And in time, he will move us through it back into hope and praise. You know, in just a moment, we're going to actually sing a song that for me, it's called All Praise, that for me, when I, a couple years ago, when I was going through one of the deepest and darkest moments of my life, this is a song that God used in my own life that I would sing on repeat when I would move from the healing valley of pain towards the mountain of praise. And so as we sing this song, one of the things I want to encourage you guys to do is just take a moment and, and let the Lord like just meet you in your pain and sorrow and let him move you back to the mountain of praise, even if it doesn't feel like it. And if you need people to pray around you, we, you know, we're gonna have people around the, around the room praying to pray with, if you want someone to pray with, if you need to just sit down and just cry, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We're a family, we're a family. Let's pray, God, we love you. I just pray in this moment that you would meet us in our pain and sorrow and that you would lead us to rejoice, not because our circumstances are better, but because you're with us. 
God, you love us, you meet us. God, I just pray that today would be a, a, a time and a place for healing. That you would heal us, that you would move us towards praise yet again. God, we need you, we need your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.